1: Well, customer experience, if you haven't noticed, everyone is at least talking about getting on the act and making it better. Some are talking, some are walking, as you're about to find out in the next 30 minutes. But are brands getting growth from this customer experience focus? With us today for an update on one of marketing's mega trends is the CMO of Budget Direct, Jonathan Kerr. Anita Ears, Head of Innovation at First State, now called Aware Super. Harris Hutkin, General Manager, Digital and Data for the NMA's Motoring, Roadside, Parks and Resorts operations and Damien Sharpley, Strategy Partner at Lavender CX. Welcome to you all. Let's get to this customer and growth conversation. Um, to Jonathan Kerr first, uh, you've been for some time now one of Australia's fastest growing or in fact the fastest growing home and car insurers. You're gonna let me know Jonathan whether I got my stats right there. 20% year on year growth has been the norm. Now. Uh, What's the secret sauce here? Product, uh, customer experience or marketing? You've got three choices and I suppose you're going to choose all of them, Jonathan.
2: Uh, Yes, indeed. I I think um, the coming together of those big points of leverage is the key to it all. So um, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants in terms of what our product team gives us in terms of, you know, being a brand that uh, um, is the price leader but also – um, fully featured products and uh, and and so our ability to then have a customer experience um, where where customers typically choose the channels that are um, the more cost effective ones for us to deliver our service on gives us an advantage that we can pass back in pricing, and then obviously in marketing, you know our job is to take. Uh, this incredible recipe and then take it out to the public and get them to engage in our story and and, and get them to come and have a look at us. And then when you then experience uh, what is probably one of the best online uh, experiences in insurance, it comes together in conversion and conversion leads to more opportunities and then you grow and
1: scale. Good points, Jonathan, but has, has product has the product changed much? Has the customer experience changed much? Or is the marketing execution changing the most? Where is where is the change in that? What is driving this 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 growth? I know it's a combination, but is there something you can single out that's that's kind of moving faster than the other two?
2: Um, I think we're quite relentless in making sure that the, the experience of the product when you're purchasing it and when you're servicing it. Uh, never stops. So we're an always on optimizer. And so the optimization in that case is not just sales, it might be completing a process or a task. Um, And then the product has to fit within that shape to make it really, really intuitive. Uh, We know that people really enjoy uh, the fact that we give a lot of tailorability in the product. And so the actual kernel of the product in terms of Uh, being comprehensive car insurance that you can count on that will be there, fix your car right the first time. All of those things are the same, Um, but in terms of the experience that comes with it has improved a great deal. And then our actual focus on customer service has, has really, really improved a great deal as well. And so I think with insurance, you're buying a promise and then you're buying delivery and part of the only thing you can count on between those two parts is the experience of buying and servicing your product, and we're really good at that. So I think um, it's just incredible, though, when you think that the team that gives us the product um, have managed to give us this product that is the most award-winning product in the, in the sector but is also the price leader. And that's, that's really special, and that's the stuff that we do well with marketing when we're doing our marketing to take that out and get people to engage in it.
1: So, where is your next stage of growth coming from, Jonathan? Because uh, 20% is is, is, a, is a tough benchmark to keep hitting every year. Um, growth for the next next year, next two years, uh, where does that come from? What is it looking like for you now? Different customer segments?
2: Yes, it really is that. And I think that um, when we're thinking about understanding customers and customer experience, like we're really into ethnographics, behaviours and attitudes. Uh, we have all the data you could possibly want to have on what people do when they get to the website and how they pick things and where they came from, but actually getting into the psyche about what makes a person consider a brand like budget direct. And over our 20 years, uh, our job has been to open the aperture wider and wider, keep the people that you already have, get them to buy more, uh, increase retention, but then open up to a broader set of people. Now, That typically, you know, when you get bogged down in demographics and things like that, I think you're going to be on a slow burn because you don't really understand what drives people. So we really try and understand what uh, can we find more people who are open minded? Are they going to be people that will, um, you know, really consider walking across from Woolworths to Aldi? Uh, because, um, you know, that actually think it's worth trying a different way. We can probably get the same outcome and the benefit can often be just in paying less. But, you know, if you ask an average person in the pub, uh, should you pay more for the same thing? Um, you know, they should probably laugh at you, right? Because that would be dull. Um,
1: So so interesting though, you know, in our previous conversations, uh, this customer-led focus that many brands and companies are are driving pretty hard on. You're a little sceptical, right, in terms of this art, science and smell scenario you talk about. Smell's your tester for being real. Elaborate a little bit on that and and, and this this scepticism you have about the customer-led stuff.
2: Look, I really, really think that I love it. I love what we do with art and and, and I love the creativity of that and that you see that probably more in uh, traditionally in marketing. And then you've got the science and uh, we could throw no more science at it. But where you've got to add smell at the end and that's the smell test. And is it believable? Would you put your put yourself in the shoes of the customer when I make the proposition to you? Does it really sound like it would stick? And I think what sometimes happens is people just get carried away um, uh, with the theory. And really, I like to really sit back and, and think, who am I thinking about right now? Um, Is this real? Can I go and find some people who represent that segment that we're trying to break into and talk about it and understand? Boy, I tell you what, you know, understanding that people are so uninterested in insurance, having being humble to think that we're not creating art, we're creating commerce, um, and we're creating jobs for the people here that I work with. And my team is so great at helping translate um, what we need to understand into things that we message on. And, and, and that's really what matters the most. But are science, but smell. Does it pass the smell test? Does it actually sell more product? Does it actually retain more people?
1: And it's interesting because you think marketers uh, in the main need to get back on the street a little in terms of getting into the customer's shoes and and thinking like a customer. And they don't. Uh, Why is that? What is the sort of the biggest block to that happening?
2: Well, it is a fun job, right? You know, like uh, being in this kind of creative side. And uh, you kind of do fall in love with your own gear, right? I mean, and, and I could be accused of that, I'm sure. Um, but people often, sometimes, I went, in fact, in the marketing industry, when we put up a new ad, people say things like, oh, you know, why would a brand called Budget Direct have such an elaborate, expensive advert and things like that? The thing that we bring it back down to all the time is, does it work, Right? It's only like that because it's proven to work. And, you know, um, last year our growth was 25%. It wasn't even 20 and And that was because look, we got the combination right. And we also had this amazing uh, team of people across the business that gave us this product that is never more poignant, poignant than now. You don't want to give up on your cover level, but you want to save money. And this is the time for Budget Direct to shine. And we've been doing that really well.
1: A couple of other bugbears you've got. One I don't mind. The other one I'm a bit nervous about asking you, but I'm going to do it anyway, is the first one, end-to-end customer journeys. And you you feel like organizational structures sometimes get in the road or in the way of actually delivering really superior customer experience. What's your lessons there?
2: It's almost like thinking about uh, the true reality. And this is where I'll use the word customer, the customer journey. So they don't expect the customer d- journey to be disjointed a- a- around weird structures in your business where uh, the left hand doesn't speak to the right. And, and often when you think about a customer journey, it's a kind of a link. It's like a relay race between different areas. And so it's quite interesting if you look at, um, you know, m- what we call marketing marketing media and acquisition. It's all under one house, right? And all the digital is under one house. And, and, and that what that means is that we are responsible for generating the lead and then the next bit and the next bit and the next bit. And so you actually live the customer journey within your structure. And therefore, you really have great empathy and you spot very quickly where you're dropping the ball if you are. So, for me, like we have a full in house team. We've got nearly 70 people here. Um, they're just the best at their jobs. They're amazing, but they really, really understand from one end to the other. So, if you're just as concerned about getting the lead as you are in servicing the lead, you take responsibility for that lead throughout because you're part of the relay team and uh, you know we've really made that work and and uh, no one cares about your money your time your effort or your customers more than you do and then that's why we have such an in-house model
1: I'd love to come back to that and, and Jonathan here's a heads up and, and to the to the rest of the panellists as well I'll hopefully come back round with, if we've got time to, to ask what the biggest change the biggest challenge and the biggest improvement on customer experience has been for your in, for you individually and with your companies in the last two years so there's a, you got some warning there Jonathan to Anita, from insurance to another sexy category called superannuation both are interesting in that they're not high interest categories from a consumer perspective uh, you're in the trillion dollar plus superannuation industry it hasn't been historically sexy as we said but that's changing right customer experience is becoming quite central to keeping and acquiring people to your funds what's the last two years look like Anita for your business and your customer strategy it is changing quite quickly right
3: They are indeed. So superannuation today is a $2.9 trillion industry. And interestingly, as you said, uh, it hasn't been very customer-focused traditionally. And that is about to change, and and I'll tell you why. Most of people actually, because it's seen as a forced retirement plan, are disengaged with super, right? Uh, Especially younger members. So for anyone under the age of 45, they're really concerned about what's going on in their life today. We all time poor and actually thinking about retirement or actually saving for retirement is just not top of mind. And so people are not generally, you know, engaged with the with superannuation as a whole. The other aspect of it as well, it's a heavily regulated industry, and products are somewhat commoditized. Um, offering little differentiation. Uh, So funds mostly compete on fees and returns. So up to now, there hasn't been much change in terms of the proposition that would make it um, distinct um, from one another, the funds. So traditionally, the way that a super fund had grown in the past is through industrial uh, agreements. Um, so securing default status was the way that a super fund would basically drive growth. So what that means is if, if you, let's say you get a new job and your employer as part of your onboarding would give you some forms about superannuation. And if you don't choose a super fund, they would default you into their super fund. So the super fund that the employer has chosen for you or is being mandated by uh, by industrial agreement. Most people, because they are disengaged, is not top of mind. They just, you know, uh, tick the default status. And that created an issue uh, with people opening multiple accounts over their lifetime, right? Every time they kind of moved um, jobs, they ended up with a new account. And therefore, their savings start to erode because they're paying multiple fees. So the government noticed that, and through the Royal Commission, there was already a wish, uh, I suppose, from the government of changing their behavior in the industry. And the most recent budget announcement uh, has revealed that the government actually adopted the suggestion from the Royal Commission. And the key change in there will be, instead of uh, the default status being the driver of growth, if an employee has a super fund already that they've been contributing to as they change jobs they will continue to contribute into their fund so that's what they call stapling or members to their existing account right so in that way, uh, it changes the dynamic in the market of how super funds are competing and what's the, the driver for growth.
1: And so now the race is on then, Anita. I guess the race is on now then for it's the choice. You've, they're now talking about choice, and this is where you kick in. You've got a new gig as head of innovation, or it's about a year ago you were appointed. This is where the customer thing comes in for you, right, and, and your business and your industry.
3: Exactly, because now, so with all those changes, actually, they're empowering consumers, right? And... And consumers will be able to make more active choice in this space. Um, So therefore, we either we have to differentiate, right? Super super funds will have to differentiate as well as um, build customer experience, because it hasn't been really the focus. We don't have a lot of transactions with members traditionally, but that's changing. Right. So we need to enable uh, experiences that are more seamless as well as we need to build new uh, offers to the markets that would create a competitive advantage um, instead of just relying on, on default status.
1: And so what are the priorities for you then? What, what are you doing better? And what happens if you don't around this customer experience? This is probably quite fundamental to, to what the business does in the next couple of years.
3: It is uh, absolutely right. Uh, and we had a big change at Aware uh, Super. So we had a new CEO coming on board um, a couple of years back. And so basically, customer experience um, became a function, right, for the first time uh, in the fund. And innovation became a function as well. So we created a couple of functions within the fund to really drive that strategic agenda. And for innovation specifically, so in terms of where I'm coming in, our focus has been on building propositions that create competitive advantage. The angle that I'm taking on this at the moment is... So people haven't necessarily chosen Aware Super as their fund, right? They got defaulted into into it by their employer. So if they haven't chosen us to start with, why would they choose to stay with us, right? When those whole changes are happening or when they get a new job and a new fund is offered to them? So that's what we looked like. We started looking at how do we actually become more relevant to a consumer that is not in their retirement phase, that is traditionally not engaged, with superannuation as an industry, right? And one of the examples that I can give you, which we just launched to market, uh, we did a partnership with a startup called Super Rewards. So basically that enables people through their everyday shopping to get a kickback from the retailers into their super fund. So it's a way that people can increase their contributions without having to put their hands on, on their pocket. And this is a program that we have adopted a First State Super, actually, to, to improve the engagement with members, as an example, through the new service.
1: And how's that gone? And what else is on your in your pipeline for, for innovation? What does innovation look like for First State or Aware as this new customer battle uh, emerges?
3: Yeah, so we focus on building propositions across our key segments. And also across the life cycle, basically, because as I I mentioned to you, you know, how do we make super more relevant for people that are not close to retirement? And how do we leverage our capability, basically, to build a proposition that is relevant that will drive consumers to engage and build competitive advantage for the fund? So that's the agenda for me.
1: And so how many, this is a new capability for the for, for the fund as well, right? So you've got new people, new tech stacks, new technology, new strategies to do all this. So how, how far along the timeline uh, are you on that?
3: Look, uh, we've been operating just over a year now. And as you said, the rate of change in the business is just incredible. Like we're running at such a fast pace. Um, that is a big a transformation project just in being initiated right now, because part of it has to be enabled by tech and data, right? So we are changing our underpinning systems, are supposed to enable us to deliver a better experience for members. And that's for a fund size. You can imagine that's a pretty big undertaking. And then at the same time, we have teams like my team that is looking into delivering their strategic agenda in terms of what, what should our offer look like you know, um, and that's from a very broad perspective, you know, new products, new services or new um, distribution models that, that can create a competitive advantage. So I suppose the shift is quite exciting because, you know, from an industry that has been quite lazy in many ways because they're just being relying on these employer agreements for growth. Right. All of a sudden uh, the government is coming in, forcing legislation that would benefit consumers And then all these funds are actually having to change and change quite rapidly. To be able to to survive, because the ones that don't, they will just get acquired. You know, there will there is a heavy consolidation in the industry, so they won't be able to survive because they won't be competitive.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the next, as you say, the next year or two is, is a fascinating play out, and we might come back and visit on this. Um, to Harris, now you're uh, on the NRMA's roadside and motoring business, and in the last six months, you've been in parks and resorts. Um, uh, what's been what's been sort of the last two years? What has it looked like in terms of the customer experience uh, for the NMA in those areas, um, Harrison, I will just clarify that because you're not insurance, uh, you and Jonathan are, are, are good friends. We don't have any um, any, any competitive tension there, which is um, just to clarify for for our audience. But um, yes, customer experience the last two years, Harrison, in, in those areas. What's changed?
4: I'd say the, the biggest things that have changed over the last couple of years, it was a shift from a focus on scale and efficiency and really today focusing much more on that customer experience. But thinking about customer experience, not so much as just an art, but really layering in the science to it as well. So I think you know for a long time, uh, the focus on customer experience, particularly for the parks and resorts business as an operating business, it was almost transparent what needed to be done to improve the customer experience because you were interacting with guests every day. And, and probably the biggest change over the last couple of years is really bringing a lot more science into that and, and theory around how to improve that customer experience. So today, it's a much greater focus on the customer experience, but importantly, the employee experience, and then defining and delivering against a, a customer value proposition that allows us to service our existing customers, but increasingly appeal to new audiences. So with COVID, that's meant uh, spending a lot more time thinking about how we keep our customers safe, getting the basics right, so whether it's just an easy check-in or beautiful grounds when you walk in or clean amenities and then layering in that surprise and delight, which can include things like express check-in, glam tainers, which we've recently launched, or even a water park that we recently opened up at our park at Darlington Beach.
1: Let's go back to the science bit for a moment though. So what have you incorporated? What have you deployed in terms of the science and how does that deliver into the broader customer experience, Harris?
4: The first part of that would have been bringing to life a touchpoint NPS program so we can really listen in and get that voice of the customer data. And then starting to hold our employees accountable for that customer experience. So that, that was really the first thing that we did. And then starting to layer in a program of work to try to tackle that. So when I talk about the science, it it's also includes you know, just a program of work. What, what are the things that we're going to improve and measuring the impact of those changes? You talked earlier about digital consumption is
1: rocketing this year, and, and what's that meant for your customer strategy? Because I guess in, in in parks and resorts as well, um, that uh, COVID would have probably been played into your favor a little bit, I'd imagine, because we can't travel anywhere but d- domestically.
4: Going to one of the NRMA holiday parks is a great vacation here in Australia. For anyone that can't travel overseas, and certainly, you, you would say that, though, wouldn't you? Uh, maybe, maybe it's a bit like asking Jonathan about which car insurer
1: I should go to. but <laughs> No, I'm taking, I'm taking the Vicky here. Um, so yes, it's the the, the the traffic or
4: the the visitation's been up on that. Visitation's definitely up, which has meant that for us, when it comes to the customer experience, we've really invested in digital heavily this year, trying to make that online booking experience as frictionless and pleasant as it possibly can be, helping people discover our park and understand what a holiday park stay looks like and where they want to stay. And then once they've decided where they want to go to really get them in and out as quickly as possible. But I I would add to that, that importantly with COVID, digital has also meant a shift around how we interact with guests in the park. So a much greater focus on contactless check-in and just helping our guests uh, stay as safe as they'd like to be.
1: Okay, I'm going to come back to a couple of things here. Um, To Damien, you know, we've heard now from some... three different companies on how they're doing this um, the bigger picture for you is you're across you know you're across a bunch of different sectors um, what are you seeing uh, is it the same as what uh, our panelists today are talking about or is it different uh, and this experience gap you talk about explain that
0: yeah so the last couple of years the sort of um, the perspective has been that uh, customer experience is the new competitive ad- advantage. Um, for a lot of businesses and brands. This was a study that was done a couple of years ago and it's been talked about more recently. And what's interesting though, is when you look at the um, high performing um, companies in the US who are doing really well at CX, who are also um, outperforming on their various stock exchanges, the CEOs of those um, organizations, 80% of them felt like they offered a superior customer experience. However, conversely, and this is the interesting um, um, piece on it, is that only um, 8% of those um, customers of those companies um, felt the same way. Um, And so therein lies the sort of problem and the issue I think that a lot of organizations and brands are faced with today is that there is this inherent belief that we offer something better. And and typically, because we love what we do um, from a marketing perspective, we um, exude that in our sort of brand promises in the marketplace. It's sort of like we're reaching for the best version of ourselves, but we quite often get uh, maniacally focused on that and don't start to think about what does the actual experience the customer comes across when they're investigating the different options and brands available to them, Um, coming to a point of purchase and then the utilization of the product itself, does it actually live up to the promise? Um, and I think that's the big opportunity for brands today is to start to think about how do they close that gap. And I, I think inherent in that is um, firstly looking and focusing on the products and services that we actually um, have in market and looking for opportunities to improve. And then once we've got the basics right, looking at where the points of delight um, exist, and that often comes through um, innovation. And then interestingly as well i think the other aspect or the other side of the spectrum that creates the gap is um looking at our brand positioning i think there's going to be a lot of re-evaluation of brand positioning um next year because during covid which has really just accentuated the opportunity or has been the real catalyst for a big sort of social reset on what is valuable to to us i think brands are going to you know, slowly creep back down to what is actually um, essential, what is valued, um, uh, what's believable within the respective categories. And I think that in of itself brings it closer to um, what what is, you know, a real and tangible brand uh, customer experience today. Um, and then in between all of that, we um, are very focused on and I see a lot of organization racing to create cus- uh, connected customer experiences. Now that that really is about understanding the way that um, consumers kind of navigate their way around an ecosystem of you know, media, uh, physical spaces, the consumption of content, how they find things in the first thing. In the first place, how they evaluate their choices, so that those brands that are present when they're being looked for um, are suddenly on the consideration set, and then are available, then are able to um, anticipate what the might the next question or need be. Now, every time that there's a break in that ecosystem, people fall out and then they find other brands. And that's missed opportunity. Um, so being really, really conscious of that ecosystem and making sure that your brand is present at the right times with the right information to guide people through to a conclusion is extremely valuable.
1: Mm. And, and, and great points. And, and Jonathan, I might ask you on that. Do you think that connected uh, experience, uh, you've got that all you know pretty well under wraps?
2: i think it's incredibly important that we remain humble and remember how much the customer is engaged and what you want them to do and all of those type of things what i mean by that is that i am absolutely sure that we can improve a hundred percent you know going forward because we are still just getting better and optimizing every day um but i i i I think that we might be really good compared to some of our, you know, some of the peers, but that doesn't mean that we're nailing every part of it. But we certainly are thinking about win wins. Okay, so um, to be successful, um, you know, we use terms like you know CX and all this kind of thing. But let's bring it down to like brass tacks, right? Um, the customer will do what the customer wants to do. Our job is to make it easier for them to do it with us than anyone else right now you will get your success if those two things come together so uh, you know to me the fact that we call it cx now and that type of stuff it's just as simple as making it work well all the time And it it really is just that. It's just to to think that um, there's a magic potion or a new recipe is, is probably not true. People are probably lightly engaged when they start. They want it to go seamlessly. You focus on making sure that happens. You get... Um, an extra customer, or you get um, your the the, the the person's perception of, of your brand goes up. These things all happen and and, and line up to driving momentum and success. Um, but there really is just the need to be to respect the fact that people, you know, um, they don't start the process thinking I'm going to evaluate your online journey. They just go through it and it's either good or it
1: not Good point. And and so to Harris and Anita and we're wrapping up shortly is um, to get to that point where Jonathan's talking about the tech tools, the tech stack, the talent capabilities. Uh, Harris, what's the biggest learning for you so far in in terms of getting to this point where you're consistent? Biggest learnings. uh, What's happened the last year or, or so out of that?
4: I think you started to build on that which is that the customer experience is absolutely a function of the employee engagement and the capabilities of the people that you have around you. So so one of my learnings has been you can't just assume that people are going to be able to deliver a great customer experience just because you ask them to. And I know that sounds quite simple, but it means really being strategic around what you expect from your employees and staff and being able to really lay out a roadmap and give them some guidance around what you're expecting of them. And then when it comes to the tools, you need to have a platform that allows you to connect with your customers. In in many cases, it's not a greenfield site. It's a it's an existing stack that you've got and you're trying to figure out how to leverage that to better communicate with your customers. And my takeaway from that is you need to focus on the the outcomes you're trying to deliver find tools that are going to deliver on that. And when you're trying to sequence these things, that that's a critical element, that you can't just buy everything at once. You really need to think about how you're going to organize these things and making sure that the piece of kit that you put in is not going to create some sort of upstream blocker. That means you end up spending a whole bunch of money trying to fix it all.
1: Well, and it's, it's interesting because, Anita, you'll be a, a software vendor's dream at the moment, given that you've got to invest in um, all this customer experience. The kit is often put ahead of the capability, if you like. Um, how What's your discovery so far in building this out?
3: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right, because... Um... I mean, we we hear organizations talking about transformation, right? And I feel transformation is the new norm. We did one about three years ago, and we kind of undertaking another one now. So the the market is changing so rapidly, and the technology is advancing so quickly that actually by the time you finish your transformation program, you almost have to do another one just to catch up. Um, so so that's one point. The other point as well. Which, when it really comes into execution, right? So we're talking about two components of enabling customer experience. The first one, and uh, Jonathan talked about that in a very articulate way, is actually the cultural change, right? And this is by far the hardest thing to do. Is actually how do you enable your employees to develop to deliver the experience that you want? And sometimes that takes a, you know, takes a, a change. Um, of mindset, of, way, of ways of working, restructures, and et cetera, that are very hard um, to to establish. The second one, of course, is the technology, right? And the problem with technology is that sometimes it becomes about, you know, as you embark on those programs, you kind of lose sight of the outcome that you're trying to deliver, and it becomes about the tech, right? So you get, hey, we actually, you know, Uh, behind the timeline or we over budget for this we need to finish this um, project and then it really becomes about the tech and you kind of lose sight of the why you're doing that on the first place and I think it's really really important that as organizations embark on this transformation and for CX that they keep their North Star very very clear for the whole organization aligning everyone behind it and actually holding uh, the organization accountable for delivering their outcome because it's so easy just to lose sight of that.
1: It's a great point, Damien. Do you see that a bit? Um, you know, about the tech becomes a very common temptation and an elusive mirage sometimes to take you off course. Do you see that a bit across the, your, your, the sectors you're working in?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the customer experience design starts with the customer. That's a bit of a no-brainer. The um, the tech really is about shaping around the experience and enabling those moments to actually happen, um, as per. The, the design, um, and, and I, I would say that that applies, the logic applies to data as well. Um, so um, we, we, we design experiences on paper, we work with, um, you know, the IT architects, um, MarTech people, and other Um, technologists to actually help us then create the sort of infrastructure that sits beneath those those designs otherwise you know the designs start to fall away the integrity of the customer experience starts to fall away and then we were left with something quite sterile and, and not really resembling what we started.
1: It is interesting, isn't it, that it's still quite a common trap to fall into that tech takes over and, and we're still there even, even in, what, 2020, the end of 2020, we're still seeing that happen. I'm just going to ask, to, to wrap up, I'm going to ask each of you um, a couple of questions with some quick answers, which was, and Jonathan, I'll start with you, the biggest change, challenge or improvement in the past two years uh, for Budget Direct in terms of customer experience. And curly is always a good one because people like uh, drum, Rather than they like good news, but um, there's a there's a hint. You can go any way you want.
0: The biggest change, I think,
2: just doubling, tripling down on. Um Giving every bit of potential functionality to our customers in online uh, policy management and all that type of thing, we, we, you can just do everything that you can do on the phone with us. And I think a lot of people would, would be like, you know, um, will they actually use it, and all of those type of things, and understanding how much people enjoy control on their terms. So we offer full 24/7 phone. We do all of those things, but just because we made our service. Uh, so complete online people choose to do it they therefore feel in control Uh, we're giving them trust by letting them get into the bowels of the product and change mods and all these things. You know, everyone else makes you phone to do that. So just actually having faith in the customer and giving them the tools to be able to uh, manage their own destiny. um, That's been really, really massive for us. And and, and again, like I said, it's the win-win because it costs us less to serve them. We then pass that on in better pricing and then we grow and then we have scale and then we can make a big difference. One thing I would say, by the way, on transformation i think i've been so lucky to be here for so long and we've never had a transformation project in our whole time i've been here and that is because if you optimize every day you never have to transform
1: i mean that's an hour conversation we have to do a follow up on that one because it's it is, it is fascinating transformation uh, 2.0 3.0 and so forth and jonathan personalization i think you've made a point that you don't think uh, customers necessarily want a polished finished personalized, perfect product, but they want to sort of do things themselves. Is that, was that, did I get that right?
2: So um, within it, you know, um, sometimes there's quite a lot of packaging, Uh, you know, some of our competitors might do, you can get the kind of, um, you know, the comprehensive or the comprehensive plus right? And that's kind of like done for them. But I I really think that uh, what we find is people like to be in control, make choices themselves. If you're interested in uh, behavioural economics, you'll probably give that a bit of a tick. And um, again, it's just um, saying, hey, you know, choose your journey, let you select, um, let you see the value in the different add-ons and uh, and things like that and decide to take them or don't take them. And I think that's
1: very powerful. Got it. Um, Harris, biggest change, challenge or improvement? Uh, in customer experience for you in the last year or so?
4: I'll give you three quick ones. One, definitely the shift to digital from a customer perspective. The other from a customer and business perspective without saying I think is COVID and just what that's meant to our business and how we support our customers. And probably one of the biggest changes that I've seen internally has been that customer satisfaction is measured on our Dashboards on our scorecards, and that's had a, a serious impact on just the behavior of the whole business in focusing on that customer experience.
1: Because it's focused, and they can see, they can visualize it, if you like. What gets measured gets done. Yeah, yeah, right. For you, Anita, biggest change, challenge, or improvement uh, in the customer experience uh, journey for you? It's
3: interesting. The Harry said, "What gets measured gets done." So, <laughs> I guess we, you know, in the infancy, they're just starting to measure things and understand well, you know, what is the experience like. Um, really for us so although we are such a big player in the in the industry is actually that's a capability that we we just kind of started to build recently for us
1: you are. That's right. I mean, in, in many ways, it's very just. It's quite a contrast in in the sectors we've got here. Final question for you, and and, and this is where I got a bit of a wrap over the knuckles from Jonathan uh, in our in our earlier session. I don't ask enough about the impact and results of all the things that we talk about in in the, in the marketing uh, in this marketing podcast. Firstly, what does the measurement and success KPIs look like for all three of you, uh, and then and Damien, what you see across the market? What do senior leadership want to see on that measurement stuff? And what happened this year in terms of your results? Are you as good as what you have been?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, we had a best growth year um, for for a while on the back of multiple years. But we went to we grew uh, premium across motor and home by twenty five percent. That's just that's in the COVID year, and uh, we cracked a billion dollars in uh, premium um, annually for the first time. So it was a, a an incredible year for us, and and really. Uh, comes down to our amazing customers and my team here that does
1: such a brilliant job. Well, it's extraordinary, really, because not many people weren't driving as much either this year. So um, it's an, well, I guess they still got to ensure, but that's a, that is a good result. The measurement and success KPIs for you, uh, Jonathan, on that customer side. What are the, what are a couple of the key ones for you?
2: Well, we were one of the first people that did uh, you know surveying on every single interaction with Medallia, and um, and so we our MPS on every section is very significant to us. Um, but we're also looking for classic, uh, throughput measures, um, and also, um, the growing of cross-sell and retention. So really classic, um, measures, but in terms of growth, um, you know, we are, we are a 20 year old business, but, um. Um, we have um, only got you know about 6% market share in motor and, and less than that in home. So you can imagine uh, the agenda is to scale really well and uh, be able to offer a brilliant service because we really do an important service and in take into ter- in terms of making people whole in their moment of need you know so yes it's one thing to grow fast but you've got to be able to deliver the service so that's equally important in the measurement
1: uh harris for you uh, measurement and success. what do what the kpis look like for you how are you measured
4: um i think the, similar to the others i think we're generally measured on financial performance but i think what we've added to that mix over the last few years has been around customer acquisition and retention. Importantly, the customer experience measured is NPS, which has gone up a, a few points each year. And then probably the last thing I would call out is just a big focus on our people and employee engagement uh, as well as safety. And, the, and the, that's really what we're
1: measured on. Okay, and and, and revenue or sales top line is, is going in the right direction then?
4: Absolutely, for, for both the membership business and the holiday parks business where we've really turned things around and pretty proud of what we've achieved.
1: Anita, measurement for you as the top, the success KPIs?
3: Yeah, so we operate on a, on a balanced scorecard that has financials. So you would, you know, for a super fund, of course, performance is a key one for us. Um, but that's just having kind of a, a ticket to play, really. We we do measure customer satisfaction. Again, we just implemented um, the modules to be able to to track those measurements. So that's relatively new. Um, but that has, has been a huge focus, right? And as the other participants have mentioned, the, um, our digital experience as well has been enhanced. So the digital team has been doing a great job. You know, the app that we have released is being an award-winning app. The uptake of the app has been a really good, really strong, positive, and the feedback from members as well. And even engagement in superannuation, we see that that has um, boosted engagement as well. So, and again, I just, I'm thinking, what well, hasn't changed this year? Because I wear Super, we have done two mergers. <laughs> We're now at, so it's, literally right. it's been so much change and just under such a, a short period of time, but very, very positive. And again, we are now one of the the second largest super fund in Australia. So the opposition is just getting stronger.
1: All right, well, I, I bet better- uh, pay more respect. I'll shall do that then, Anita. Um, you're getting you're getting bigger than Ben Hur, <laughs> uh, Damien. What you see across the market um, measurement uh, now and where it's going? What's your what's your hunch on on how this is all going to? Um, s- what success looks like in a customer experience context?
0: I think the first thing is that the available software for experience management systems is greatly more sophisticated than what it used to be. So. Um, your ability to measure how that ecosystem of experience is actually working, where, where the pain is, where, where there's delight, your ability to see what's going on in real time and to fix it in real time is exponentially better than what it used to be. So all those measures, NPS, customer sat, reputation scores, all of that stuff, I'm seeing across a variety of different clients in, in different industries. I think what's really interesting though is um, the ability of leaders in customer experience and brand actually being able to have a meaningful conversation with the C-suite as to what all their time and effort is actually trying to do for the organization. And I'm having these conversations now about how do we present, you know, the, you know, the business case for um, investment. And ultimately, it just boils down to behavioral change equals bottom line growth. And that's what you're promising. They're not really interested in NPS, CUSSAT, etc, etc, just as long as what you're promising is behavioural change and that equals more dollars.
1: And is there a magic black box or system that allows you to convert that thing yet? Uh, Damien, how close are we to that?
0: I'd say um, there are at various different stages along the way, but I think, um, you know, it's just, it's just those um, relationships and meaningful conversations at that level Um, and obviously trust in their CMOs and CXOs that that's what they're going to change ultimately over a reasonable period of time.
1: Jonathan Kerr, Anita Ears, Harris Hutkin, Damien Sharpley. Fascinating conversation and quite a diverse areas of challenge going on. So I think it's quite reflective of what's going on in the market as well. So um, thanks for joining. Look forward to maybe checking out your KPIs and measurement success next year, particularly you, Jonathan Kerr, with that wrapping the knuckles I got from you. Thanks for joining. Stay safe, guys. Um, we'll talk next year. Great. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.